the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Welcome to Education Nation, where we tackle the biggest issues in American education. School is now in session. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Mark Durkin. Good evening and thank you so much for joining us here on Education Nation. I am your headmaster and host, Rebecca Hagstrom, and it's a privilege to join you every Saturday evening here on AM 1280 The Patriot. I'm also joined in studio once again, of course, by our wonderful producer of Education Nation and my co-host, Mark Turkin. Another wonderful Saturday night. Yes. You, Rebecca. Yes. Good to see you. Yes, it's great to see you as well. Well, as tensions surrounding the contested presidential election results continue to grip the nation, there are also many questions surrounding what the future direction of the Minnesota legislature will look like. That's right, Rebecca. The numerical makeup in both the State House and Senate has changed slightly, but is there enough change to address issues like the COVID-19 peacetime emergency powers exercised by the governor every month? What impact will new COVID restrictions have on Minnesota bars and restaurants, and what information is Governor Waltz using to extend the COVID mandates? If Joe Biden is awarded the presidency, what will K-12 through school curriculums look like if certain federal law mandates are signed into law? Our guest tonight will help us make sense of what these areas of discussion may look like in 2021 and beyond. That's right. And here for the next two weeks to help us assess the future of the Minnesota State Legislature and to address the concerns Minnesotans have over all these issues and more is Minnesota State Senator Roger Chamberlain of Lionel Lakes. Senator Chamberlain just won a hard-fought battle um, campaign in District 38. He has been a guest on Education Nation several times in the past to discuss education legislation in the Minnesota legislature. Senator Chamberlain, we always love having you in studio with us. Thanks again for joining us on Education Nation. I love being here with all of you. It's great. great to see you. Good to yes. see your beautiful faces. Yes, well, and we are so glad that you won re-election, and we had some kind of pre-show talk of where, what some of that looked like, um, but you are solidly um, in, and we're very glad to have it. Thank you. So, it's very kind of you to say, my yep. wife. It was a tough campaign. Yes, yes. It was unlike any other in the last many years. Yeah, yeah, which we won't even go into that, but for our Mm -hmm. listeners, I'm sure they can only assume. So, again, Senator, as I said, we're very happy to have you in in, um, the state Senate again. And as you've contemplated the results of the elections here in Minnesota, take some time here to share with our listeners your thoughts concerning the future potential of the state legislature heading into the 2021 legislative session. And if you could, please also address any close legislative races and recounts in which any uncounted absentee ballots could really play a factor. Well, um, I, Mark alluded to it earlier that uh, the, 
the margins are narrow in both the Senate and the House. We're mm-hmm. 34, 33 Republicans in the Senate, mm-hmm. and they gained, I think the Democrats have maybe three or four seat advantage so far in the House. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So not a whole lot has changed, but there is a, I think there's a lot of underlying factors there we don't need to talk about right now, but mm-hmm. um, there's a realignment, uh, I believe, that we many of us have <clears throat> talked about. During the election, uh, we have 34 in the House, in the Senate. But, look, uh, there is not one Minnesota here. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of moderate rural Democrats, um, both House and Senate. There's not many Senate Democrats left from rural Mm -hmm. Minnesota. Mm -hmm. And they are not being represented by the new extreme left wing of the Democrat Party, if you can even call it the Democrat Party anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they are not being represented. Uh, they're, they do not re- represent a lot of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. We do not have one Minnesota. We have an extreme uh, core on one side and uh, some moderate Democrats in the middle. So I believe uh, there's a realignment with working class, blue collar people across the state, whether you're rural or metro. And I think that's going to sh- uh, pan out here in the future, too. And mm-hmm. It was working that way hmm. during last uh, session as well. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we have 34, 33 in the Senate, uh, but some of the realignment, I think, will impact us with moderate Democrats going into the future. And uh, there are some close races. We are recounting one mm-hmm. up in St. Cloud, and the House is still going through a couple of recounts. I know mm-hmm. one of mine, uh, the colleague uh, I ran with in the B side of the district, Elliot Engen, yeah. they're recounting his race. That was an automatic recount for less than 0.5% mm-hmm, difference. Mm-hmm. So that's going on mm-hmm. in the House. And then the Senate, like I said, we have the one recount up in St. Cloud. Mm-hmm. That recount up in St. Cloud, is this in, uh, the incumbent? Is it a Republican or a Democrat? It's a Republican, Jerry Ralph. Okay. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know I, I actually went to a couple of Elliot Ingen events. He's a nice young man, mm-hmm. um, but I think very capable. And um, his, his father is a good friend of our parent, or of some good friends of ours, and mm-hmm. said, "Yeah, like so many in these situation, way ahead, or um, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of election night, yeah. and slowly but surely watch that disappear over the course of the next, you know, twenty four, forty eight hours, mm-hmm. and." So it's good that they're doing recounts. I sometimes wonder how that works. You know, how do you actually verify that the ballots that they're counting are real? I'm not an expert on that whole right. election process as to how they actually watch the ballots. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if we have time. Maybe sometime at, sometime throughout this show, I would love to get a little education from you, Roger, on how that actually looks. Because I would think that that is the key, really, is verifying that the ballots are real once they're in the mix, I don't know that recounting does that much good. Is um, there somewhat of a it? seal that's if, on the if, ballot? If there's people? been fraud, I mean. Well, I I don't know all the inside stuff. Uh, obviously, when I got a, I got involved in politics in '08, and um, at the BPOU level, and I never had chance to work my way up through those sure. those processes because that was my intent mm-hmm. to do that. But some friends got me into this mess, so I never got to. <laughs> Here uh, you are. I never got to get in on the ground. So I don't know all the details about the sealed ballots. And, and I do know there's supposed to be balance in the room. They're supposed to have observers while they count. Mm-hmm. But there, uh, there is fraud nationwide and statewide. We, mm-hmm. There's always cheating in politics. There mm-hmm. always oh, sure. is. Always mm-hmm. has been. Tammany mm-hmm. Hall, New York, Chicago, all over the place, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, certainly it exists now. And if not statistically, empirically, we have uh, – it, it's out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Well, you were alluding to and mentioning the fact that there's a real shift going on amongst the Democratic Party. It's no longer uh, that moderate sense or even a centrist uh, stance, but it is definitely uh, moving much further to the left. And we saw that on display this summer with a lot of just the anger that was coming out uh, towards police in many of the protests that were taking place on the streets of the Twin Cities. And um, one uh, particular individual uh, that has won election is uh, House of Representatives uh, St. Paul District 67A Democrat John Thompson. If we remember over the summer during a Black Lives Matter march in Hugo, it was Thompson who went on a profanity-laced tirade directed at neighbors outside the home of Minneapolis Police Federation President Bob Kroll. Now, how does the state legislature begin trying to make inroads with an elected representative who who harbored such vocalized animosity, not only towards police, but communities, especially ones that are geographically close to the ones you represent, Senator Chamberlain, Mm -hmm. that he perceives are hesitant in support of black Minnesotans. And by the way, that wasn't just animosity. He was saying, we're going to burn your neighborhoods (laughs) down. Well, it's domestic terroristic (laughs) threats. I was surprised he didn't end up in jail with threats like that. Right. Well, he, uh, right. So Hugo is an area I represent both sides, A and B side. And um, my wife, you know, being Christians, this is one of our great challenges, right? Being mortal and having all these failures and challenges. We had to be light. My wife tells me all the time, be the light, be light. Mm-hmm. She even had his uh, license plate frame that says, be the light. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm always reminded of that and in my faith. So we always had to look at it that way, right? Image of God, they're all God's children, and we do what we can. Uh, that being said, um, it's hard to compromise, or there's no compromise with that sort of hate mm-hmm. and evil. There just isn't. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't go around threatening to burn down neighborhoods and mm-hmm. and take people's property and threatening the citizens um, who uh, have done nothing to you. Now he may have a beef or two. Uh, okay, get it, but that never leads to anything productive. Mm-hmm. You can't compromise with that sort of stuff. That being said, again. We will be the light, and we will uh, bring something else to the table, but we're not compromising with uh, <laughs> burning down cities and, and taking property and violence. We're not going right. to uh, – the good Lord, uh, you got to fight evil when you see it, and mm-hmm. there's no compromise with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we're going to be talking a little bit um, later about some of the specifics concerning the latest COVID restrictions. But first, I wanted to address this shrinking majority rule in both the House and Senate. So in the House, Republicans, as we said earlier, were able to pick up six seats, closing the DFL majority from 69 or to 69 to 65. So only a four seat majority. But in the Senate, it appears the Republicans also um, shrunk their majority to just one seat, 34 to 33 majority. So with those shrinking majorities, is it any more likely at all that the legislature could reach agreement to strip the governor of his peacetime emergency powers? Well, there were Democrats. We mentioned earlier moderate rural Democrats uh, in the House that were shifting over. And some of those lost. Some of them lost. Uh, not enough of them lost. Mm-hmm. And in the Senate as well, we have a few moderate rural Democrats remaining <coughs> with some realignment going on. So is it possible? Yes. Now, I want to preface this by saying, yeah, COVID's real. It's out there, just like anything else. And I won't go into the whole detail mm-hmm. about it, but 
Uh, we had an issue early on when this started. People had to, we had to flatten the curve and get the hospitals up to speed and s- established. But it's been almost eight months now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this is no longer that sort of emergency, and it's an abuse of power. It's unconstitutional. But look, most folks don't know that's the case. Yeah, they don't. There well, are people. There are people that will listen to this who who are otherwise in agreement, but they're concerned and have anxiety about this thing. I get it. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of facts and data on the other side that show that we're going to be just fine. Mm-hmm. So his emergency powers are unconstitutional. They're abusive and arbitrary, and they're causing great harm in our schools, in our communities, mm-hmm. our citizens. They're driving people to poverty. Their suicides are up. The mental health problems with kids are mm-hmm. is uh, through the roof. This is causing great harm to a lot of people in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. So he needs to collaborate with the Senate and the House. He mm-hmm. needs to collaborate with us so we can do this the right way and more deliberately, mm-hmm. period. So people can disagree with me. Uh, they can scream at all kinds of things at me, but it's unconstitutional. It's wrong. It's unnecessary. We can get this done and take care of the problem. Let me ask you this real quick. You know, I, I read somewhere yesterday that the House of Representatives was trying to reframe or reform the language regarding peacetime emergency. What, what's that all about? Yeah, well, we tried something like that back a couple months ago, too. We had five votes on removing the emergency powers, and we even had a vote on an amendment to that language. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> what I understand is briefly is I haven't read the proposal yet, but it is a – Proposal that after 30 days, then you have to consult the legislature, and mm-hmm. it's not this—it's not this thing where you—it flips it. Instead of getting permission from the legislature or having them end it, you have to get their permission to, to keep it going. Right. Mm-hmm. Basically, that's what it is to be more deliberative. He mm-hmm. has to engage the citizens of this state have been deprived of their constitutional right in government and their voice. They have got no voice in this state except through the four people that are running it. That is the problem. And it's been seven months. Eight. Uh, I think it's been eight. eight almost mm-hmm. eight months. And we are still in this mess with all the lockdowns and mass. I thought that was supposed to stop everything. But uh, the four people running the state uh, haven't got it done. Mm-hmm. And people are still dying in a nursing home. So mm-hmm. he has to work with the legislature. He has to get the voice back. You know, I vaguely remember last summer, weren't wasn't the Senate um, removing some of his cabinet people to try to help him understand that he needs to incorporate the legislature in his decision-making process? Well, we we removed to uh, the Senate's constitutional authority is is clear. We have the right to confirm his appointees. We were doing our constitutional job, and we removed two people that were not doing their job, that were not supported by the public and the people they represent mm-hmm. were supposed to help. They made a mess of things. They weren't doing their job. We also confirmed a couple. So we mm. confirmed a couple mm. and removed mm. a couple that were not doing their job. Mm. Kelly and I forget the other person's name. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Dal- uh, Dolly, uh, someone at Dolly, I believe it was. Okay. Mm-hmm. But Jan Malcolm, everybody thinks, is doing her job well? Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, again, the main discussions obviously going on during last this last year's legislative session was COVID. It's probably going to lead the discussion again as the new session uh, gets started. And uh, as our listeners know, this week Governor Waltz did place new restrictions on bars and restaurants, 
closing in-person service by 10 o'clock in the evening. Uh, the governor also placed restrictions on weddings, funerals, other private gatherings, which are certain to change many plans for the upcoming holiday season. Does a data-driven approach tell us anything about the latest restrictions about or announced rather by the governor? Oh, again, I'll preface this by saying we get it. Uh, COVID is real. It's out there. It exists. Yep. But the data from Oxford, Harvard, Stanford, yep. the Barrington letter, thousands of doctors and physicians and reports, the CDC, WHO, Surgeon General, Osterholm, everybody's, little, everybody's hero here, mm-hmm. and Fauci um, suggest something a little bit different. Um, so if the fact of the matter is, Reading all this stuff, they, we all know, they all tell us, the, the experts from Harvard, Oxford, Stanford, and other places have told us, you can't contain the virus. Mm-hmm. It's out there. Studies have shown that this thing was out there long before people ever were aware of it. So does that mean we ignore it? No. We take care of it. We took steps. We spent money. We tried to uh, work through some issues, thought we were kind of out of the woods. But the point is, I was just watching this thing, that the lockdowns don't work. If they worked, Mm -hmm. we wouldn't be back here, right? Right. If the masks worked, we wouldn't be back here. Mm -hmm. The data shows they put the mask mandate in, and it didn't slow the cases. Then they'll say, well, you're not wearing the mask enough. I've seen a lot of people. They're wearing the mask in the stores. Mm -hmm. I wear the mask. Mm -hmm. So um, is it data-driven? Does the virus stop? Does the virus stop? take a nap, and then wake up at 10 p.m. and go into these places Mm -hmm. and start doing things. Even the average citizen that might be concerned and anxious that is listening to this, I just ask, look at some of this research and the studies. The virus doesn't take a nap and then come up. You can't contain it. I saw they were taking dartboards out of bars. <laughs> They're telling people you can't dance. If you do dance, sit in a chair and wiggle around. I mean, oh, seriously? I, I didn't mean, even goodness. hear that part. <laughs> can't speak loudly either. I heard that yeah. as well. Um, so, you know, I mean, again, there are people who are still anxious about this, but the, we're going to be okay. If you don't believe me, read Stanford, read Oxford, read Harvard, read the Barrington letter. Um, thousands of scientists and doctors are sharing this information. If you don't believe me, Fauci and the governor and, and many other people are saying that the masks uh, really aren't stopping it. Mm-hmm. And the data shows that. Mm-hmm. There's been no research for it. And I'm going to mm-hmm. get – people are going to be screaming at me again. But but the, the the end game is here. How long do we do this? The governor has given us no right. point when this ends. And right. somebody said not until we get a vaccine. Mm-hmm. So people need some hope. There are people anxious out there. We have to give them hope that we're going to be okay, that if you get this bug, we'll manage it, and we have to target it. We have to do this better so we can get back to life because this is destroying people's lives. Mm -hmm. Poverty, mental health, suicides, not getting operations and screenings and exams that they need. This is harming people. A lot of harm is coming to people because of these non-data-driven driven restrictions. Mm-hmm. So some mm-hmm. people approve of him, but he needs to work with the legislature. We need to be more deliberative with this, and we need to work with other science and give people hope. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's easy to agree if your job isn't on the line or if you don't have kids in school. Right. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I think that people who have kids in school um, and they're frustrated because they are 
Um, now many of them are going to distance learning. We're going to talk about that, I think, in the next show. But mm-hmm. all that to say, it does seem, um, you know, I, I can ask you, but in some way, this is a rhetorical question to some degree, what role do other models and perhaps Walls's own political worldview play in his decision making? Because really, I believe it's like 0.04% of people under the age of 70 die from coronavirus. And even now, the hospitalizations, while they're going up right now in the Twin Cities, the ICU's numbers are very even. And I don't believe they're even as high as they were at the end of May. So clearly, even if there are more hospitalizations, they are managing it better. So the point I guess I'm making is, what is the worldview? Do you think there's a worldview behind this that is causing um, him to hang on to the emergency powers or at least maybe look at the data differently than, well, than what scientists would? We're all people. We're all fallible. We all have our uh, little eccentricities and peculiarities and uniqueness among us. And I'm sure that, you know, we can't, we are not able to completely eliminate those things from our lives and our decisions. Uh, we can do our best to do that, but um, I don't want to speculate right here at this point about what that might be, yeah. but I'm sure it does have a role to play. Um, we have had no uh, no words of encouragement or hope or light or normalcy, mm-hmm. just more Ongoing restrictions, um, mm-hmm. and the goalposts have moved from flatten the curve, Many times. the hospitals, mm-hmm. to stop the spread, to get rid of it completely, to get vaccines. People need some understanding, some hope, and some certainty that they're going to come out of this, and we're all going to be all right, um, that you know, we have lives mm-hmm. to live, and people can choose to do that or not. Um mm-hmm. And that's not a selfish thing, but the decision is going to be have to be up to the people. How long will they be willing to deal with this sort of um, uh, these sort of restrictions that are destroying lives? He was fortunate that he wasn't up for re-election. I think. Well, <laughs> well, well <laughs> um, that could be. I. That's another conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you did touch briefly on the fact uh, that there are procedures. There are laws that uh, need to be taken into consideration uh, with the Senate uh, and it, when it comes to uh, moving through this process. If you could speak a little more specifically, is the governor abdicating his duty to follow the constitutional process when it, it comes to enacting these these policy changes uh, surrounding the virus? Well, I, you know, obviously he will say he is, and many of his supporters will say the same. I yeah. I tend to believe he is not. This needs to be... The statue, I guess, if you went back and talked to the people who wrote the statue in the 50s, I'd, I'd, it wasn't a good statue to be written. That's what I've heard. Tell, <laughs> talk did, about not, that briefly. It was not written properly. It basically did not consider the fact that, you know, clearly defining emergency and they didn't foresee something like this, obviously, but requiring this, uh, both the House and Senate to remove the powers could create a situation that inevitably leads to this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. they. I mean, you could have had uh, uh, many scenarios where the governor would be would declare emergency powers and never let them go, and the Senate and the legislature would never be able to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it was a very poorly written with no out, mm-hmm. very little uh, 
room to maneuver in. A lot of people don't realize because they some are still getting up, going to work, doing their thing, but mm-hmm. and they're busy trying to may, manage your life with the kids and everything right. else that they not really thinking about, you know, the constitutional implication mm-hmm. here, and their mm-hmm. their rights have been stripped, and they have no representation in the House and Senate. Right, right. They don't have a voice. It's supposed to be a deliberative body to help each other out in these cases. And, right. Uh, he has uh, obviously. We believe that. He's violated the Constitution and violated the law in that sense, and the spirit of it has been violated. So I, mm-hmm. we will continue to work with him and ensure people that we will be fine and we will get out of this, That, but we need to have a better approach because apparently what he's been doing has not worked. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, speaking of hotbed issues, and I know this is a, a topic here that I, I know I've been itching for some clarity <laughs> on <laughs> – um, surrounding the, the COVID response has been the mask mandate. Uh, the folks at the legislature uh, passed Minnesota Statute 609-735 in 2019. It's also known as the Concealing Identity Statute. And here's how the statute reads. It says, quote, A person whose identity is concealed by the person in a public place by means of a robe, mask, or other disguise, unless based on religious beliefs or incidental to amusement, entertainment, protection from weather, or medical treatment, is guilty of a misdemeanor. So to just heal, you know, clear up some of the confusion, does the governor's mandate suspend the law that was passed in the legislature and then signed into law by the governor? And, and in fact, in my own personal research, I thought I had read that the governor had the authority to suspend ordinances and administrators in peacetime emergency, not statutes. Well, uh, I can't clear the confusion up for you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's what happens. There's de jure and de facto, right? De jure is the – right? That's the way the law is written. But de facto is he has the power, and there's no way to prevent him from doing it, and that's just the way it is. But you – my belief is you are correct that that um, he can't suspend the statutes. He can't spend money without us appropriating it. Mm-hmm. Um, but – the fact is we get in these positions. There's a lot of laws that are not uh, enforced or that are let run by the wayside in many different situations, and this is, happens to be one of them. It's mm-hmm. just the way it happens. Mm-hmm. So one quick question here before we have to end up this show already. Um, as part of the COVID-19 restrictions announcement, Governor Walls acknowledged that small businesses are struggling as they combat the spread of COVID-19. As a response, the governor is proposing $10 million in additional funding to businesses that have already applied for relief. I'm assuming that this is a proposal that Governor Walls would like to see pass in the legislature during the peacetime emergency. Very quickly, can you speak to the degree of help that this additional funding would have on small businesses and what is the overall outlook for small businesses as a result of these prolonged restrictions? First, we at the Republican Senate had this proposal. I think Eric Pratt did. Mm-hmm to help address this issue. Uh, secondly, um, we have $10 million is not going to go very far to help these small businesses, many of which have gone out of business yeah. uh, because of this, restaurants, bars, service right. industry. So it's a Band-Aid, and what these policies are doing, uh, whether people want to believe it or accept it or say it's the right thing to do, is the fact is a lot of people are losing their businesses, they're losing jobs, and they're you're driving people into poverty. And kids are suffering in school. So Mm -hmm. um, it's a Band-Aid. It would have to be very targeted. It doesn't go very far. Something is better than nothing, as the uh, businesses would tell you. But 
there's usually a lot of paperwork, a lot of hooks, a lot of conditions. I've seen all the PPE and all that other stuff mm-hmm. as it came out from the feds and in the state. So a small amount, better than nothing, but um, these restrictions will continue to harm businesses and put people out of work and drive them to poverty. Yeah. Listen, we are so with you, and we're so glad that you could join us in here in the studio tonight, uh, Senator Chamberlain. And as always, thank you, Mark. We're so glad to have um, you working on this show every week. Uh, You do a great job. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners. And if you'd like to listen to this podcast, go to ednationmn.org. Good night. See you next week.